when the province started uh, rolling out the vaccine at warp speed, literally, to our kids, that's when I said to myself, I have to go public. Otherwise, I could never live with my conscience. Every once in a while, you get to meet a hero. Thanks to the work I've been called to do, and for your benefit, I've been privileged to meet many. Today's guest is one of those, although he will say that he's not. I'm going to introduce you to a surgeon from Canada, someone with a long and prominent career. Not only is he practicing surgeon of more than 20 years, he's a prominent university professor and even co-founded the program at the university which, in which he teaches, the editor of a medical journal as well. He's just been cancelled for daring to suggest that there must be informed consent for the COVID vaccine rollout for children. Stay tuned to meet Dr. Francis Christian. So, Dr. Christian, you basically, for speaking, your medical concerns have been cancelled. Uh, it's it's a horrific thing, uh, but you've done it for the case of for the reason of truth and for the want to communicate to your patients what is your medical responsibility. So, if we can begin with what happened to you and how did it happen? My name is Francis Christian. I am a surgeon, and um, up until the 23rd of June, uh, that's just over two weeks ago, uh, I was the director of the quality improvement and patient safety in our Department of Surgery in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I was also a director of the Surgical Humanities Program. I was clinical professor of surgery and I had started both the Department of Quality Improvement and Patient Safety and the Surgical Humanities Program for the Department of Surgery here a few years ago. And amongst multiple other activities, I had also started the National Surgical Quality Improvement Program for the department. I had founded the SQSC, which is the Surgical Quality and Safety Committee, which I co-chaired. And together with our university computer department, I developed an app. Uh, it's an app that's now available on Apple Store and on Google Play Store. It's called the M&M app or the Morbidity and Mortality app. Now, this app is, in fact, being used now across the province of Saskatchewan. I co-founded the Surgical Humanities Program and, and the editor of the Journal of the Surgical Humanities. The fall 2020 issue of the journal had much in it about COVID-19, about the pandemic, uh, including my editorial. Now, on the 23rd of June, uh, just over two weeks ago, I was called into what was termed a WebEx meeting with the dean the chief medical officer and the interim head of the Department of Surgery in Saskatchewan. I was stripped of my university faculty position and I was fired from my roles as director of QI, quality improvement and patient safety 
and also fired from my role as director of the Surgical Humanities Program. My offense or crime was supposedly asking for informed consent, informed consent from parents and children in the rollout of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine to our children in Saskatchewan. Details of the WebEx meeting, uh, John Henry, you can find that uh, on the JCCF website. The JCCF is, uh, a lot of Canadians maybe don't know about this wonderful organization. Um, It's uh, uh, founded by John Carpe, and it basically defends Canadians' Uh, charter rights, fundamental rights, uh, constitutional rights, all those things we cherish in our society. So if you go to the JCCF website, jccf.ca, you'll find my story there too. It is very, very strange, mostly because your track record is so perfect. I mean, in terms of patient care, in terms of patient concern, um, and, and in fact, this is the whole reason why you did what you did in the first place. Uh, you're not a doctor who is against vaccines. The, the, no one can call you an extremist of any kind. Um, you've, as you said, your, your magazine covered uh, COVID, the severity of it, and so on. Your issue was with the effect on children. If you could give us a few of the points, I mean, I've, I've read it, of course, but for our viewership, it's particularly those who like to view on video rather than read what's going on. Please explain to us in a few points, if you will, what led to uh, this this problem? What were the points you were making, particularly around uh, vaccines for children? John Henry, you 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 said it quite right there. I mean, I am not I'm not uh, an anti-vaxxer or a, I'm not uh, an anti-vaccine physician. In fact, uh, I made it very clear in in multiple uh, uh, locations and through many communications that I'm a very pro-vaccine physician. Now, on the 17th of June, uh, I called a press conference. And uh, miraculously, the mainstream media were there. So, um, you know, as you know, the mainstream media, unfortunately, have been co-opted as arms of government in the kind of uh, creeping dystopia and tyranny that is coming upon this country. But, uh, you know, miraculously, uh, by the grace of God, the uh, mainstream media were actually at this press conference. CTV was there, Global News were there. I started off by saying that I do not represent the Saskatchewan Health Authority. I, I do not represent the University of Saskatchewan and that I was directly addressing parents and children. And uh, I started off by saying, and I quote, I am a very pro-vaccine physician. I'm only too aware of the great scourges of mankind, including smallpox, that have been eliminated or made innocuous by vaccination. I'm also pro-vaccine for my own family, including myself, end quote. Now, What I was asking for, John Henry, is essentially uh, what is called informed consent. It's not a controversial uh, term at all. Uh, Informed consent, the principle of informed uh, consent, 
is actually very simple. Uh, it has uh, truth, it has science, it has humanity at its heart, and very simply, what it means is that the person by whom the drug, the vaccine, the treatment, the intervention is administered must always, always make the patient fully aware, the child fully aware in this case, the parent fully aware of the risks of the medical intervention, the benefits of the intervention, and if any alternatives exist to the intervention. Okay? And I pointed out that this should apply particularly to a new vaccine that has never before been tried in humans. So, uh, you know, I decided to become public with this, uh, and, and maybe I should tell you very briefly what drove that. Uh, there were several things in the pandemic that uh, I started questioning back in, uh, in, in, in May, uh, that is the method of science. We question things. We are skeptical about things that are told to us. Sometimes we follow narratives other than the official narrative. And then by a process of discussion, open discussion, uh, debate, a consensus is arrived at. Uh, you know, our own authorities have often contradicted themselves. Uh, and so anyway, I uh, was at the beginning, I was in fact a very uh, much with the official narrative. I supported the lockdown um, back in March and April. Uh, there were some aspects of its enforcement that I didn't agree with, but I thought to myself, you know, this is a new virus. Um, let's give people a chance to get a hold of it. And then in May of last year, 2020, I found that they were censoring. Uh, mainstream media, and that includes, uh, you know, CBC, CTV, uh, to a lesser extent, global news. But um, the mainstream media, uh, social media, YouTube, uh, all these, um, all the American channels were censoring. Uh, they were censoring not just anybody, but they were censoring world experts. They were censoring people like Martin Kuldorf of Harvard or Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford. Sunitra Gupta of uh, Oxford, and these were world leaders, some of them we knew about. Martin Kuldorf is a world authority on, on epidemics and vaccines. His software is actually being used by epidemiologists. Uh, and these, were, these guys were going against the official narrative. They pointed out that lockdowns impose their own costs on society. Okay, mm -hmm. And they pointed out that we should exploit the massive difference in mortality between the elderly and the younger folk, the vulnerable, the, the, the elderly for whom the vaccine is dangerous. I'm sorry, the, 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 the virus is dangerous. Uh, the virus is actually dangerous for um, elderly people, vulnerable people, and maybe healthcare workers. And these groups, they were advocating, yes, protect them with vaccines if necessary, but let life carry on as usual for the rest of, uh, of us. And these were experts from Oxford, from Stanford, from Harvard. And even before I had formed an opinion on this, they were censoring them. And I, and I started asking questions. Why, why is this censoring taking place? Another group of, of physicians were being censored 
uh, and that and those are the physicians of what we call the FLCC, uh, the frontline COVID critical care doctors. And these were guys who were on the front line of, and we knew about some of these guys. Uh, we knew about uh, Pierre Corey, his point of care textbook of, on ultrasound is actually standard reading, even in our hospital here. Uh, and then you had a guy called Paul Marek, who was, uh, and I think still is, the second most published ever intensive care physician in the world. And there was a guy who was originally from Italy. His name is Umberto Meduri, who was the fellow who not invented, but he he was the guy who popularized for the first time and showed that non-invasive ventilation works. So we knew some of these names already. These were massive, uh, you know, published and very scientifically renowned physicians, and they were being censored. They still are being censored. And they were advocating for things like early treatment with some, you know, uh, with something called ivermectin. Ivermectin is one of the safest drugs known to humankind. It is the, it's, it's, um, its inventor got the Nobel Prize in medicine because of the great impact on world health. Uh, the FLCC group uh, showed through their own uh, experience and through getting together experience from across the world. Uh, that this is an amazing drug. It can end the pandemic. And they were being censored. Yeah. And I was asking myself, this had, I'd never seen anything like this in my lifetime. And, and so I thought, you know, I need to question this. I need to ask some questions. And that's when I started asking questions back in May. And I was trying to influence the system from within. But when our province and across Canada and, of course, in the States as well, I think the, the Canada, the U.S. and Israel are the only countries giving the vaccine to children. OK, when the when the province started uh, rolling out the vaccine at warp speed, literally to our kids, that's when I said to myself, I have to go public. Otherwise, I could never live with my conscience. And that's when I gave this press conference, and and that was the 17th. It was a Thursday. It was a, it was a blustery, sunny day. And I, I pointed out that the uh, principle of informed consent was being consistently violated in this province for the mRNA vaccine for our kids. Uh, and I pointed out that I had not met a single child or parent who had been adequately informed and who then understand the, the risks of the vaccine or its benefits. And uh, I pointed out that the vaccine was new, it, 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 and, and, and by definition, it was an experimental vaccine. The phase three trials were not designed to end till 2023. It had never been used in humans before, uh, that the mRNA vaccine uh, has never been authorized by either Health Canada or the CDC for full and complete authorization in in health health canada has it under what is called interim authorization uh in the in the u.s it's under what is called emergency use authorizations how many parents and kids knew that and isn't that very basic uh it's it's really very very simple and basic for parents and kids to understand and then i pointed out that in order to qualify for emergency use authorization there must be an emergency right and for the elderly population, for the vulnerable, 
for healthcare workers, there was, of course, an emergency. There is an emergency. Several thousands of people have died of COVID-19. But the mean age of those who have died is 83.8 in Canada. The mean age. Mm -hmm. There is, therefore, a strong case for vaccinating the elderly, the vulnerable and healthcare workers. But COVID-19 does not pose a threat to our kids. The risk of them dying of COVID is less than 0.003%. And that is even less than the risk of them dying of the flu. And there is therefore no emergency in children. So this is, again, uh, if you think about it, how many parents and kids actually know this? Uh, All they know is this fear conditioning that has been rolled out to them by mainstream media, uh, which, uh, as I've said, um, is an arm of arm of government now, Uh, I pointed out that the studies show that children do not, do not readily transmit the COVID virus to adults. And shouldn't adults be immune or vaccinated anyway? So, and in many countries, actually, the the, the studies show, for example, in Sweden, that teachers had significantly lower rates of COVID-19 than the general population. So there's no reason to keep our schools closed. Yeah. and then, the, you know, the, the, the fact is that the mRNA vaccine by that time, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, the vaccine adverse event reporting system in the United States uh, has, has recorded even more deaths associated with the vaccine. I pointed out that the VAERS, V-A-E-R-S uh, system uh, shows associations and not necessarily causations but that this was a strong signal. Now, at the time I gave the press conference, John Henry, the various system had recorded 5,888 deaths, and now it's more than 9,000. Uh, and the, the, again, these are associations, and we don't know whether they're causations. Yes, yes, we, that's true. But, but in any other drug or vaccine, they would have been sufficient to stop the whole program. A pause and a regrouping and a certainly a big signal not to give it to our kids. So that's another thing I pointed out at the press conference. Uh, I pointed out that the mRNA vaccine was already causing problems for kids, including a condition called myocarditis, which is actually a serious condition. Uh, There's no such thing as mild myocarditis. Any cardiologist will tell you that. Uh, Mild is something that you realize uh, as the disease goes on, And some myocarditis kids will recover, yes. Many will recover. Many will uh, actually become very sick from it. Some may die from it. And some may have long-term problems with it. And in fact, uh, as I was being fired, ironically, the CDC was meeting to consider exactly this problem of myocarditis in kids associated with the vaccine. Uh, and, and, And since that time, Health Canada and Um, and um, the CDC have come out with an explicit warning that should be included when this vaccine is is considered. So, you know, the fact is the German vaccine agency, the Swedish vaccine agency, the UK vaccine agency have all said this vaccine should not, need not be given to kids, okay? In some cases, they have okayed it for very sick kids, somebody with leukemia, vulnerable immune system suppressed, that sort of a kid. But when so many other major vaccine agencies have said no to vaccinating kids, 
uh, and when we already know that these were problems coming up, um, what was Health Canada doing? And so I pointed that out. I pointed out that the benefit of the vaccine was marginal at best because there's something called absolute risk reduction, which is, and I won't go into the, the technical details of that, but the absolute risk reduction is actually uh, quite modest and quite low, and uh, it's less than 2%. Finally, I pointed out that the drug ivermectin is the alternative. You remember what I said about informed consent, the risks, the benefits, and if there are any alternatives. And I pointed out that, in fact, ivermectin was the alternative, and that this common and cheap and very safe drug was being blocked in many Western countries. If I were to prescribe ivermectin to somebody in Saskatchewan, it's not available anywhere in Saskatchewan. Why is that? So I pointed out these things, very, very, very simple things. And I said, you know, this is what informed consent at its minimum for our children and parents should look like. Uh, I urged our vaccine authorities, our public health authorities to call a pause in the mRNA vaccine rollout to our kids. I pointed out that informed consent was not being given to parents and children in Saskatchewan. Uh, for the mRNA vaccine for our kids. And that was all that happened for which I was fired and I was stripped of my positions. I have so many questions for you. One, just off the bat, did you envisage this outcome as a even remote possibility when you went forward in the first place? A remote possibility, yes, because uh, we are living in uh, what I, uh, I think I refer to as dystopian times. I mean, uh, unfortunately, anything other than the official narrative is not allowed, okay, is censored, is, uh, is demonized too, is, uh, uh, you know, there's, there, there's deep platforming going on, smearing going on. The mainstream uh, media here, um, the, the Sastun Star Phoenix uh, tried to do that to me too. I mean, pointing out certain things which had absolutely no bearing on what I'd said and and twisting what I'd said, and 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 so on. So there is there is a uh, a dystopian tyranny that is creeping into this country, and it's affecting uh, the mainstream media, but not just the mainstream media. It's affecting our institutions. It's affecting academia, and you know my firing might have been extreme, uh, dramatic, and uh, you know there's a recording of the firing. I don't know if you've listened to it. Uh, you can find it on the JCCF website, the link to it. Uh, but, uh, and, and that recording has gone around the world now. But I got to tell you that uh, I'm only one of several examples of my uh, Canadian co-physicians, scientists who have been persecuted just for having an opinion other than the official narrative. And there is a, I can give you, you know, right off the bat, I can tell you that there's an emergency doctor by the name of Chris Milburn, uh, who was uh, fired from his, uh, his emergency medical director, I believe, role, because again, he criticized something to do with lockdowns. Uh, there's another physician by the name of Charles Hoff, who had seen actual harm from the vaccine in his practice and was trying to alert the authorities, as we're supposed to do. First, do no harm. This is what we have learned from the beginning. This is the tradition of medicine, not just in our countries, in Western civilization, all over the world. 
no matter what civilization, no matter where you look, first do no harm is a principle. It was a principle, you know, before the time of Christ. Even Hippocratic medicine uh, talked about first do no harm. The uh, Canadian people owe you uh, a lot of thanks and gratitude for being willing to sacrifice yourself for the truth, for your care for uh, Canadian children, Canadians generally. But what a horror is happening in Canada to the whole medical practice, because what this does is engender fear in physicians who... There's so many things that go on with physicians, like they consult with one another, even if it's off the mainstream opinion for now, because that mainstream opinion changes with the research that individual physicians do. We spoke last week with uh, Dr. Zelenko, who was one of the first to treat COVID patients in upper state New York, and he developed his own treatment protocol, as you know. But this is Physicians work this way. They they work with one another. They look at their patients. They assess what's going on. They try different things. That's why we have off-label use of medications. But this whole normal process of medicine is being completely stifled by what seems to be just a government agenda. Absolutely incredible what's happening to the threat to the lives of patients and obviously the, the, the harm to good physicians who are actually caring about those patients. Where do you see this going in Canada? Um, because I know your case is being taken up by the JCCF, God bless them. Uh, and uh, we're, we're going to actually uh, do a push for support for the JCCF as well. But where do you see this going? Um, because, uh, you know, from your insider perspective with regard to physicians in Canada, and, uh, and thank you for uh, telling us who the names are and some of their backgrounds, because it's just, it's fascinating to hear, but it's also for a lot of Canadians who are sort of, we're seeing these doctors and we don't know exactly who they are and what they are, just to see how renowned they are and yet being cancelled anyway. But where, where do you see this going? All that men and women of science hold dear is under, I would say, unprecedented and continuous assault. Unprecedented because this is in glo on a global scale. And uh, you and I know, and scientists and physicians know, that the scientific method, which has been responsible for so much human progress, uh, so much of the relief of human suffering, uh, is itself being subjected to daily abuse by totalitarian authorities uh, and with a compliant press, unfortunately, and major internet platforms. Uh, they're all acting as arms of government, uh, arms of big pharma, arms of business. And, and, and you know, this is uh, something that uh, I feel is a pivotal, crucial moment in our history uh, we physicians and scientists have always known, we continue to believe that throughout history, opposing views, vigorous debate, and openness to new ideas, these have been the bedrock of scientific progress. And, and you know, any major advance in science has been arrived at by scientists, surgeons, physicians, practitioners, vigorously questioning, quote-unquote, official narratives and following a different path in the pursuit of truth. Uh, and these have always been the methods of science. And these are all under threat now. The control of media uh, and the kind of deplatforming and persecution of academics uh, is in fact very similar to what happened in the Soviet Union. 
um, you know, for people who have studied Soviet history uh, well, as I have, or Nazi history even, which I've studied less well, uh, all the signs are there. I mean, if you look at the, 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 the press, for example, the, the Lenin uh, at the Council of People's Commissars decree on the press, uh, November 9th of 1917, uh, he said, publications can be proscribed temporarily or permanently only by decision of the Council of People's Commissars. So this Council of People's Commissars in today's Canada is public health authorities governments, uh, and I don't care what government, uh, you know, you call it conservative, uh, you know, NDP, liberal, they're all in this together, I think. And then the only the Council of People's Commissars, only mainstream media, only YouTube can can be can really be the arbiters of truth. And then there's the, the next uh, item on this Council of People's Commissars decree uh, on the press of 1917, is that the present ordinance is of a temporary nature and will be repealed by a special decree as soon as normal conditions of social life set in. Now, I've got to tell you, uh, this, uh, this is very, very, very similar to what is going on. Everybody's saying this is temporary. All these emergency measures, all these emergency acts that legislatures have passed through, you know, up and down the country, uh, will be temporary and it will be re repealed by a special decree or whatever. We know that Soviet tyranny, Soviet communism lasted not one year or two years, but 70 years. I think Canadians need to wake up. Canadians need to see that this dystopian darkness is closing around us. And, and, and we, the people, need to, uh, need to make our voices heard. Dr. Christian, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit more about that connection to communism. I will tell you more about it because I've studied this in, in great detail. I've been interested in these uh, totalitarian, tyrannical methods of control of the Soviet Union, uh, actually since I was a teenager. So I've been studying it for many years. Here's the other, other similarity, uh, which is really very disturbing. Uh, the Soviet Union, when the Soviet Union was this world power, it put out what is called the Great Soviet Encyclopedia. And uh, what it says in, about Soviet censorship in the Great Soviet Encyclopedia, and I'm just going to look it up. Um, it says, quote, it was aimed only at protecting the interests of the working class, i.e. the people. So you have the similarities now, because what they're saying is, you know, this is a public health emergency. We're just protecting uh, the people uh, by censoring it. Uh, we, 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 we're an arm of government because uh, we're concerned about the people. Uh, that's what the Soviets did. And then the other thing that, this, that happened in the Soviet Union is children uh, were the easiest targets for propaganda. Um, because, you see, all of them had to attend state-run schools. Uh, and where teachers were fired, as we know, if they were found to be religious in any way. So if they were talking to kids about uh, the Bible, the Quran, uh, you know, Judaism, uh, you know, they could be, uh, you know, sent off to Siberia. They could be sent off to the Gulag. Um, you know, there was a, there's a well-known um, way in which kids were persecuted 
uh, and the persecution by, was by a well-known method of dividing society, dividing people, and in this case, dividing the schools. Uh, children who admitted to attending church services, uh, this is on record, they received poorer marks in school. Uh, and because of the anti-religious tone of education, uh, you know, students frequently mocked their believing peers. Now, is that happening in the, in the vaccine world among our kids? Of course it is. I'm hearing stories of that every day. Teachers are pressurizing kids to get vaccinated. Uh, kids are getting raptors mass for getting vaccinated, you know, and, and that is, again, such an unethical thing to do. Uh, I talked about informed consent. Uh, you have to, you, you know, you have to look at how, uh, you know, the, the vaccine thing is dividing parents from their kids as well. Uh, in fact, one of the leading newspapers in the United States had, a, had an article that said, uh, why kids should disobey their parents and get vaccinated. This is a well-known tactic. This is a well-known tactic of the Soviet Union. All the children in the Soviet Union were taught to have a higher loyalty to the state than to the families, and were encouraged to denounce their parents for anti-Soviet activities like attending church. So there is a, there is a disturbing dystopian similarity to what is happening now. And I really do believe that Canadians must wake up uh, and to the approaching darkness. Uh, because if you wait, it may be too late. Uh, now, on a note, I'd like to end this segment, if I may, uh, John Henry, on a, on a note of hope. Yes. When the Soviet Union crumbled in the 90s, okay, uh, what was still standing? The Bible was intact. Uh, the Quran was intact, uh, religious uh, uh, education emerged intact, okay? And even during the period of severe Soviet censorship, if you were caught with a Bible, you could be sent off to the gulag or sent to a psychiatric hospital. Even during that time, uh, there was what, was what was called in Soviet times the Samizdat, uh, which is Russian for self-published press. And there were scores of illegal books, okay, illegal to the Soviet Union, but the, you know, verses of the Bible, books of the Bible, uh, great works of literature. Uh, you know, people of my age have probably seen the, 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 the movie Dr. Zhivago, but Boris Pasternak's Dr. Zhivago was this this masterpiece was actually banned in the Soviet Union. So was, um, you know, Bulgakov, uh, Mikhail Bulgakov's Master and Margarita, or Alexander Solzhenitsyn. But uh, in, 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 in small basements or apartments at great peril to themselves, uh, the Samizda, the self-published press in, in, in typewriters and in manual typewriters would be churning out pages of the Bible of uh, of these great masterpieces of literature and smuggling them into the streets of Moscow, Petersburg, all over Russia. And when the Soviet government fell, every tyranny will collapse. When the tyranny collapsed, what was left standing? The Bible, all these great works of literature, these works of, 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 of literature and, and religious education, they were all still intact. And uh, in 1946, uh, the BBC, which is unfortunately now also an arm of government, 
But at that time, it was a very different BBC. In 1946, they started broadcasting radio services for Soviet citizens. So did Voice of America, Radio Liberty, Deutsche Welle. Uh, and and here's, here's the thing. They've, from, from what was at that time the free West, they were broadcasting messages of liberty and freedom into the Soviet Union. That is what you are doing, John Henry Weston. You are doing uh, the work of Samizdat. You're doing the work of, of this banned broadcasting service, broadcasting into uh, the, the dark areas of our civilization, uh, messages of freedom and liberty. And unsurprisingly, the Kremlin was not happy with Western media trying to meddle with Soviet citizens. So what did it do? It started blocking radio frequencies used by foreign stations. Do you see it? Do you see the similarities? <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. One of the things you said was very interesting. You talked about how there is a viable treatment with ivermectin. <clears throat> One of the key aspects of uh, emergency youth authorization was that there can be no effective treatment. Were there one, then you could not have this bypass of the normal careful measures taken to approve drugs. That's why we don't have an FDA approval. We have only an emergency youth use authorization. But in order to get there, you had to have no effective treatment. So given what's going on, given the fact that many, many doctors have used ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine and associated treatments successfully all over the world, doesn't it make you wonder if there wasn't a program behind it in the first place? I, I know that's kind of conjecture, except all the evidence points in that direction. I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. I can only tell you, John Henry, what I see, uh, what I see as the evidence, as a science, and as what is happening. As to why it is happening, I think your listeners, your viewers should make their own uh, conclusions. I mean, as somebody has said, don't outsource your thinking. Uh, I just think for yourself. So what you say is absolutely right. Um, if there were no emergency, then the emergency authorization of the vaccine cannot be carried forward. It takes the wind out of the sails of the vaccine companies, okay, uh, so, for example, we know that there is no emergency in kids. Why are we vaccinating the kids with a vaccine un which is under emergency or interim use authorization? Okay. Now, with regard to ivermectin, you're absolutely right. There are not just hundreds, but hundreds of thousands of physicians around the world who have used ivermectin successfully. Okay. That is what we call anecdotal use. Okay. However, there are Dozens of studies, many randomized controlled trials, okay, which show that ivermectin is not only useful, but massively useful. It keeps people out of hospitals, it empties the hospitals. It, it can end the pandemic. And just go to the FLCCC website. Uh, also, there is a coming up, I think, on the 25th of this month, there's World Ivermectin Day. Uh, uh, those experts and those renowned scientists and physicians who have published papers, peer-reviewed papers, using, uh, you know, standard meta-analysis tools, okay, uh, in leading journals, they are being 
still censored. They are being uh, deplatformed. They are being smeared. Uh, they, but the message is getting through, uh, in spite of the you know uh, Google and Microsoft and YouTube and all these uh, Twitter and actually I got to tell you there are probably people in uh, media too with a conscience, okay. Uh, and and I, I have no doubt there are actually, okay. There are a lot of people in media. Some of them actually have reached out to me uh, saying that, look, there's this censorship going on. This is not journalism. Journalism is following a story and see where it leads. Investigative journalism doesn't happen anymore. This sort of thing, I, I've heard it from journalists who are scared to, to, to actually, uh, you know, identify themselves. But on a, on a massive scale, I have to tell you, Twitter is not censoring, Twitter has not censoring as much as many other me media platforms. And I'm not sure why that is. It could be monetary. It could be that Jack Dorsey somehow had a twinge of conscience. I don't know. Uh, in Canada, uh, uh, you know, CTV uh, did an attempted hit piece on me. Um, and uh, the Saskatoon Star Phoenix was very biased from the beginning. But uh, Global News, uh, I thought, did a very fair uh, story on my uh, on my uh, firing in the evening news and in, in their in the thing. So here and there, media is breaking out. Okay, but ninety nine percent of the time, uh, you know, you uh, and several voices around the country and several uh, you know physicians, scientists are being censored, including those who advocate for ivermectin think about this john henry hundreds of thousands of lives could have been saved if ivermectin was allowed for use you know this has been done from the beginning of medicine repurposed drugs for new uses okay and this is one of the safest drugs ever it's safer than tylenol it's widely used billions of doses have been given for parasitic diseases the repurposing is for viral disease. We know that it works. We know that it works, but we cannot get ivermectin in the West. Why? I don't know. I would say, you know, to my physician colleagues too, my, 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 I would appeal to them. If you feel that, you know, you're being censored, you cannot live with your conscience, uh, you, you're, you're violating your oath to be first thinking about your patient, not about your position or about what uh, other people would say. Your first duty is to the patient. These are things which we are taught right from the beginning. These are the pledges we make when we become physicians. If you think that it's time to speak out, speak out now, because later may be too late. Uh, and, and, you know, I've, I've got to tell you, the, the, the silence from physicians and scientists who are just scared is deafening. And, uh, you know, my, my question to them is, if you don't speak out now, will you still be able to live with your conscience? And one of the things you said is so powerful, and I think needs to be driven home. This has cost thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives. The fact that ivermectin works, works against COVID, especially in, the, in early treatment, as studies have shown, and yet by hindering it, you've actually cost lives in the hundreds of thousands that 
needs to hit home. The responsible parties of the governments and whatever powers that be that are restricting these working medications, at some point, this will be looked back upon and seen as an intentional type of even genocide or something that people were willing for whatever political, uh, business, pharmaceutical, whatever reason to allow for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people intentionally when they knew better. That's just unbelievable. And I've not been uh, associating this uh, with uh, any particular um, crime against humanity. But uh, I have to say that the censoring uh, of a treatment that can save lives uh, could indeed be considered a crime against humanity. Uh, uh, if you're blocking treatment that can save lives, it could be considered a crime against humanity. Um, let me give you a couple of examples of very recent instances where knowledge of ivermectin and of the world-renowned physicians who are promoting it has been censored, blocked, deplatformed, and and persecuted. Uh, the inventor of ivermectin. Uh, the Japanese inventor, he was given a Nobel Prize for his invention, was on YouTube, uh, essentially was explaining how the drug likely works against viruses, okay? YouTube pulled him down. YouTube took him down. The inventor of ivermectin, the Nobel Prize winner, explaining how it works in viral disease was taken down by YouTube. Under whose orders? I don't know. And like I said, I, I can only tell you what's happening. Why it's happening, I don't know. Uh, but you can make your own conclusions, okay? Unbelievable. Dr. Christian, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. God bless you for what you've already done for Canadians and uh, what you're doing for your patients. And uh, please, God, many physicians will follow your example and it's an example of self-sacrifice, but an example of uh, really giving yourself to the profession, the real profession of medicine, uh, that it may be able to survive whatever insanity that we're going through right now. And I don't regard my example, as you put it, as being exceptional in any way, actually. I, I'm just following uh, time-honored principles uh, and, and ethics medical ethics, medical principles, scientific pursuit of truth, that generations of physicians, um, regardless of, uh, you know, faith or religious persuasion have followed all over the world. So I don't consider what I'm doing, uh, you know, exceptional in any way. I, I'm following uh, the, the, the path that generations of physicians have taught us to follow, uh, you know, medical ethics, um, putting the patient first, the scientific pursuit of truth, um, evidence-based medicine. The, these are not controversial, informed consent. These are not controversial topics at all. Absolutely. Thank you. May God bless you. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we are communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers, 
are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.